Man, uh, I want to welcome you to Aspen Grove. We're, we're so excited that you're here. Uh, we're going to get into a teaching time in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to invite some folks up. So I'm going to invite David and Janya up, and I'm going to invite Tim and Carol. Why don't you guys come up too? Go ahead. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yep. They pointed to us like me. So, Stephen, you can go ahead and uh, show that. There it is right there. So at Aspen Grove, you guys go ahead and come on up here. At Aspen Grove, we have a, a leadership team that, that serves this church. Uh, we have uh, scriptural, biblical elders who, uh, who serve as our leaders. Sometimes we call them shepherds, refer to them as shepherds. And so uh, we wanted to mark, and, and this has already been mentioned, but we wanted to just make a moment of a, of a shepherd transition that's happening at Aspen Grove right now. So David Browning has been a shepherd with us since about the year 2000, I think. I don't, I don't know how many. Um, he has served and served and served, and we want him back to serve in the future. But the way we are, are, are set up is shepherds serve these terms, and then they take a mandatory break. And so uh, it is time for David to get a break, to rotate off as one of our shepherds. And we begrudgingly uh, allow this to happen, but it's a time for David to refresh. And I'm sure Johnny would like to see him at home a little bit more. And uh, but uh, so one of the things I want to do is I want to pray for and thank David for his service, and uh, and we'll do that in just a second. And at the same time, we want to welcome Tim Whitey, our newest <laughs> shepherd. That's right. That's right. So. In the Bible, God has always entrusted his children to men, to, to leaders, to men and women, too, both. And uh, given his concern and care for his flock, he says in uh, Jeremiah, he says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. And I want to tell you right now, like these men that stand here today with the support of their wives, that's exactly what God has done. Uh, these men... Uh, will serve and have served and will continue to serve us uh, after God's own heart with knowledge and understanding. So uh, let me say a prayer and then let's just uh, celebrate them. Can we do that together? Father God, we thank you so much this morning for, for David and his service, um, the time that he has spent. Uh, there, was, there has been some tough seasons in the history of this church and, and David has been so faithful uh, with your children, with the flock at this church that, that you've put under his care. And so, God, we thank you for his heart, and we, we are excited for his season of rest. And uh, we pray that you continue to pour your spirit deeply into him and into Johnny and into their family so that he can come back and continue to serve this church in, in your name stronger than ever. And Father God, we thank you for Tim and uh, his wife Carol and all that they mean to us. We're so excited for the next generation of leaders. Father God, what you are doing in this place isn't done. It's only just begun. And we're excited about what Tim is going to bring and this amazing faith that he has. So Father God, I ask your blessing on these men and their families. I ask your blessing on this church that we continue to seek you out and to pursue your heart in all things. Father God, we are so blessed to have awesome men like this. Thank you. We offer you this prayer in your son Jesus' name, and everyone together says, 
All right, so can we thank David for a service and welcome Tim? Yeah, absolutely. You guys going to teach too today? Okay, y'all can take a seat. Thank y'all. That's yours. That's yours. I always show that, that same graphic, and I don't know if you noticed the picture. What's that first step? Uh, in that picture, there's a black sheep in that, in that flock, and that's some of you, and that's why he has that right there. So, and uh, I don't know if you guys know, but scripturally, as sheep in this flock, your job is to make the shepherd's job easy. Did you know that? That's what it says, to follow their lead. And I hope, uh, hope you know that the leadership here, uh, included with these guys, Rob Walker is one of our elders, and as well as uh, Dave Hill. And uh, these guys love you. Even this week in our leadership team meeting, every single name, every single person at Aspen Grove was prayed for individually. So I hope you see the complete devotion that these guys have to, to your spiritual health, to, to your heart, to your family. So you're loved here. Thank you guys for your leaders. And I say all that to say too, like, hey, it's time for the next generation of leaders. Who's going to be next? One of the things we offer is a leadership development track. So maybe uh, God is out there putting a call on your heart. Maybe you've served as an elder in the past or have some questions about what it means to be an elder. We invite you to contact me or one of our other guys. We would love to connect you to our leadership track. And essentially what we ask is that you spend a year with our, with our guys now, with our current leadership, to learn what it means to, uh, we really think this is a calling and we want to help you discern that and figure that out. I will be honest with you. Uh, no one has ever come to me and said, man, I feel like I would be the perfect elder, elder and I feel perfectly qualified. They've all come to us very humbly and hesitantly saying, man, I think maybe God has put this on my heart. And we've said, why don't you walk with us and we'll help you discern this calling and so if that's you, I, and, and I know that it is, I know that God is calling men in this church to stand up in this way. If he's calling you, man, please uh, get in touch with me. Let us get you plugged into our leadership track. It's not something any of us do alone. So we've been in a teaching series out of the book of Matthew. We just finished uh, Matthew chapter 7, and really today is a little bit of a survey of Matthew's chapter 8 and 9. In 5 and 6 and 7, Jesus delivers this great teaching, his Braveheart teaching, his Braveheart speech, the Sermon on the Mount. We talked a little bit about it, like it's this incredibly practical teaching. It's, uh, it's a redneck teaching. It's for, uh, he, he places the Sermon in the Mount like, like a tool in our hands. It's not just something to be thought about or dreamed about or agreed with. It's, it's, it's something to put into practice, to put to work. And then in chapter 8 and 9, if you'll permit me, I'm just going to kind of, I want to give you a survey of the whole landscape of these two chapters. And I don't want to read the whole thing to you. And, and, and I invite you maybe this week to, to dig deeper and read these stories. But in chapters 8 and 9, there's some really like fascinating things that are happening. And they, and they happen in rapid fire succession. And, and I think that, that there are dots here. And, and if you'll let me, I want to talk about the dots and then we'll talk about connecting them at the end. In the beginning of chapter eight, a man with leprosy approaches Jesus. 
This would make anyone nervous. And the man with leprosy says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And I love this scene. Like, Jesus is no hypochondriac. I know we're having flu palooza right now. Like, everybody's got the flu. Everybody's, like, staying far away. But a man with leprosy, like the most contagious, horrible, awful skin disease you can imagine, approaches Jesus, and Jesus reaches out his hand. And at the same moment, his fingers touch the diseased skin. Jesus says, I'm willing. And in that moment, the man is healed. Just a few verses later, Jesus arrives at Peter's house to find his mother-in-law sick with a high fever. Jesus, in the same way, he touches her and the fever leaves her, and she does what she knows to do. She gets up and she gets back to work and she prepares a meal for them. In verse 16 of chapter 8, it says, Many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and he cast out evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick In verse 22 of chapter 8, Jesus climbs into a boat with his disciples to go to the other other shore, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is asleep, and what happens? You remember this story from from children's ministry? A great storm wells up. Like the Sea of Galilee is is isolated or or situated kind of in this valley. Like there's this long valley with mountains on both sides. So the winds come down through these mountains and hit this lake, this sea, in massive ways. It's such a storm, the disciples think they're going to die, and they run and wake up Jesus. He's a little bit cranky. He says, why are you so afraid? You have little faith. And he, then he does what? With the word, he calms the storm. That's right. You remember what the disciples say? They, they can't help themselves. When they see this incredible act of power, they say, who is this man? Like, this is the question of Matthew, right? Like, who is Jesus? In the next few verses, they get to the other shore, and some violent demon-possessed guys, this is like, this is from any, like, Stephen King novel you could ever imagine. Like, this is what happens. It's the scene. Violent, scary demon-possessed guys run out of a cemetery. And the demons cry out of these two men, why are you interfering with a son of God? Like super interesting. Disciples in the boat say, who is this man? But the demons from the cemetery, they run up and they recognize him immediately. See that how that works? They recognize Jesus even when his own disciples don't. And Jesus sends the demons into a herd of pigs. So that tells you one thing. This is not a Jewish area. Right? There's this this theme of taking this thing that Jesus has and expanding it. The herdsmen run and tell the town what happens. And the town begs Jesus to leave them alone and go away. Jesus goes back to the other side. Not long later, some friends bring a man who has been paralyzed and lay him before Jesus. In chapter 9, verse 2, I think I even maybe have that verse up there. It says, some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Probably not really what he was hoping for. Fair to say? He's seen and heard about all these healings. And, and here he, all he gets is, my child, your sins are forgiven? 
Not what he was expecting. But this draws a huge response from the religious uh, elite in the crowd. And the religious and elite in the crowd, they all look at Jesus and say, who does he think he is? Does he think he's God? Yeah. It's a super ironic question in Matthew. And then in verse 6, I think I have it. So Jesus says, so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the, what's that word? Authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And scripture says that he didn't stand up, but he jumped up. In the next few verses, Jesus is going to call notorious sinners to eat with them. This is where Matthew shares his own part of the story as as gum and scoundrels surround Jesus. A few verses later, in verse 18, a synagogue leader, it says, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came, a synagogue would have been like a house church, a small church, Uh, a synagogue came and knelt before Jesus, and he says, my daughter has just died. All right, so did you feel like things just escalated? I mean, we're, we're dealing with, with storms and demons and, sure, horrible sickness, but this is, this is a whole new level. My daughter has just died, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. Oh, I love this story. And so Jesus takes off, all right, I'm going to go see her. And he leaves, and on the way, maybe you remember another woman who has been suffering from a bleeding disease for 12 years comes and touches the hem of his robe. Jesus notices right away and tells the woman, your faith has made you well. And finally, he arrives at the synagogue leader's home, the the place where the dead girl is and he hears the sound of funeral music there's this great thing in in scripture that happens whenever like funeral music and Jesus like collide in the same place you know something good is going to happen and Jesus goes inside and tells the people she's not dead she's just asleep and they all laugh so we, we don't know much but we know dead And he goes in, and he helps the girl up from her sleep. This is reports of his miracle swept the entire countryside. In verse 33, it says, the crowds were amazed. This is another huge theme in Matthew, amazed. And they said, nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. There's another story in this section. So we're like pulling all of these dots out. There's, there's a story in this section that I think anchors all of them together. I'll read the whole thing to you. It's in chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And I, hopefully I'll be able to show you how these things connect That's a weird slide. (laughs) Look, that's why we have paper and pages. 
Matthew chapter 8. It says, when Jesus returned to, to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm, I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. In verse 10 it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. All right, I think this is the anchor story for a couple of reasons. Oh, there's so many cool things happening here. First, he's in the city of Capernaum. Like Capernaum is like a, a, a city sitter. It, it is where worlds collide. It's on the main road from Egypt to Mesopotamia. So it is not a city with just nice, good Jewish families in it. It is, it is a world city filled with every kind of person. It, it is, it, and so this speaks to like Jesus move, like, like there's, uh, this city is filled with every tribe and tongue and nation and people. Are you with me? And where is Jesus? He's going into this place. It's, he's already in, in some ways saying, this is bigger than just Israel. This thing is expanding beyond measure. This is a big kingdom. And when he's in Capernaum, he meets the enemy. I don't, like we read Roman centurion, like, oh great, just a soldier. No, like these are, this is an occupying force. It, it must have felt like what, what parts of Europe felt when, when the Nazis were occupying forces in other countries. That's how the Jews would have looked at the Romans. Like these were, they didn't have a cordial relationship. They didn't have a friend, friendly relationship. Jews hated the Romans. The Romans could enforce their will. The Romans could do anything. The Romans could, could, could wipe out the temple or, or, or do whatever they wanted had no respect for Jewish faith or belief. And yet it is a Roman centurion, an enemy of the, of the state, an occupying force. Like, like, don't get miss this point. Matthew uses an enemy of the state to teach us about following the authority of Jesus. Do you see that? That's pretty huge. And when the Roman centurion speaks, it's not the crowds who are amazed. Who's amazed? Jesus. He tells the crowds, I'll tell the truth, I, I haven't seen faith like this. In the very next story, the disciples are in the boat going, who is this man? Jesus says, you have little faith. But the Roman centurion says, man, I, have, I, have, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. You see, I think the thing that connects all of these things together in chapter 8 and 9 is, is what the centurion understands. You remember what he said? He said in verse 9, he said, I know that, that you can just say the word because I am under the authority of my superiors and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or, or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. 
the centurion understands the nature of authority when maybe God's people don't. I think it was at a, at a children's ministry event. when I worked at a church in Florida for a little while. We had this children's ministry event, and I don't know, it was like tons of kids and tons of parents hanging out. I can't remember exactly the way it played out. But we were in a room, and, and there were lots of like, like preschool, elementary age kids and their parents going around. And, and there was this one little like black boy and, and we loved him. He was super sweet most of the time. You know what I'm saying? But, but today, like he was just having a little bit of an issue. I know this sounds very familiar to some of you already. He's having a little bit of an issue with his mom and, and they're kind of in the middle of the room and it's kind of getting, it's kind of escalating and it's kind of, escal- you know what I'm saying? It's like getting a little bit uncomfortable. It's getting a little uncomfortable. And, and I'll never forget this moment, but, but this sweet little innocent uh, a young child turns to, to his mother. And I, I, for somehow, like the reason is the fact they're African-American, I think makes this so much better. But just he just turns to his mom and like it in his in like in the strongest, sternest four-year-old voice you could ever imagine, he turns to his mom and says, You're not the boss of me. Elders shut doors. <laughs> you know, everyone did one of those things where you suck all the air in, like <gasps> we knew someone was about to get killed. And we were all okay with it, you know. So it was like, like, you're going to be murdered by your parent right here in this space. Call the police. You see, I, I, I think that the line that connects the dots in chapters eight and nine, and, and there's, there's, there's a couple of them, but one of the ones that I, that I want us to see is Matthew knows about us already that we have issues with authority. Right? How many of you are, are overly fond of authority figures? I think more often we're taught to resist authority or, or challenge authority. I, I guarantee you, like, like, like there is not a teenager in this room right now who doesn't claim to know better than his or her parents at least 50% of the time. Some of you are like, I have a three-year-old, that's, that's the same thing. Like, like, there's something in us, I think, that's like the, that, that loves to challenge authority or, or buck against it. And those of you with young kids, you're like, where did this even come from? You know, some of us think about goals in later life. Some of our goals are for, for no one to be an authority over us. Like, like no one is going to, I'm going to make my own decisions one day. You know what I'm saying? Like we get this, like, this head of steam built up. Like, like there's no one higher than ourselves. It says after Jesus' great teaching, kind of like the moment that sets everything in chapter 8 and 9 up. It says in verse 28 and 29 of Matthew chapter 7, 
Jesus just given them this incredible teaching. He said, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real, what's the word? Authority. He didn't teach like anyone else taught. And in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus doesn't just teach with authority. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates his authority over nature and he calms the storms. He demonstrates his authority to, to call all people and tribes and nations to himself, even sinners and tax collectors. He demonstrates supernatural authority to heal the sick and the blind and the paralyzed and the bleeding for 12 years. He demonstrates his authority over the disease of leprosy and places his hand and heals it. And he demonstrates heavenly authority and cast out demons and forgives sins. And he even brings the dead back to life. Jesus says, I am the authority over nature, heaven, and earth. And so here we are left with example after example after example of, of not just Jesus teaching with authority, but demonstrating authority. And it leaves us with this big question. Have you given him authority in your own heart, in your own life? Whose will are you seeing be done? Yours or his? Jesus warns. He says, I, I know you think I'm not the boss of you. But Jesus warns us. Remember what he says. He says, you can't serve two masters. You, you, you can't serve your own best interest and mine at the same time. And I think chapters eight and nine, they ask this question, like, like who has authority to speak into your life? Seriously, right now, who has authority to speak into your life, into, into the decisions you make? Uh, who has authority to, to, uh, to speak into how you drive? Who has authority to speak into? <laughs> Man, I just created tension, didn't I? <laughs> like, who gets to speak into how you use money? This is a short list, right? But here is Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. I don't know if you remember this. After the resurrection, he shows up and appears to his disciples. In Matthew 28, 18, do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all, what's the word? Authority in heaven and on earth. I think it's time for us as Christians here in this world, in this place, not just to recognize the authority of Jesus, but surrender to it. There's this awesome thing that happens in scripture. 
we see Jesus' power, we see his authority, and yet he doesn't force it on us. Instead, he invites us to accept it and surrender to it. Surrender ourselves completely to himself and to demonstrate his authority in our lives, not by just saying, hey, Jesus is Lord, but by acting in a way that demonstrates it. Every time we choose love over hate, we demonstrate the authority of Jesus. When a teenager chooses, chooses purity over lust, that teen demonstrates the authority of Jesus. When you choose forgiveness over anger or gentleness over revenge, when you choose charity over greed, when you choose hope over worry, demonstrate the authority of Jesus. To follow his words, we must give him our whole selves. And if he says go, we go. If he says come, we come. That's what Jesus prayed. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. In just a minute, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And um, it's a great place for reflection. Have you claimed the authority of Jesus in your life? Is that evident in the way you act? Because our actions show who the authority is. So in just a minute, uh, uh, I'll send you to a time of communion. I want you to consider all of these things. Maybe read some of these stories. It's a great opportunity to share with others. Maybe ask for forgiveness and pray for each other. We can forgive each other. Maybe it's a, it's a time to ask for help and guidance. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Jesus in baptism. And man, man, we would love nothing more than to help you do that. There's ways we can serve you. We think communion is, is a great space to begin again. And on the table are the elements. We invite everyone to participate. As you go there, I just want to remind you of one final story from Matthew chapter 9. There is a, it's a story of two blind men. I don't know how they know that Jesus is near, but somehow they know. I don't know if it's the rumblings in the crowd, but somehow they get a sense that Jesus is near and they begin to cry out for him. Son of David, heal us. In chapter nine, verse 31, he instructs them, uh, after he heals them, he tells the blind man, he says, look, I, I don't want you to tell anybody, but I love what happens. I don't want you to tell anybody. But instead, the two blind men, they went out and they spread his, what's that word? Fame. All over the region. Even a blind man can see it. Man, I, I think maybe some of you are sitting here and you've heard these stories about Jesus' authority, but you've never really surrendered yourself to it. Today is the day. I invite you 
to recognize who Jesus is, the Son of God, and give yourself completely to him. Hold nothing back. And spread his fame. Father, I got to come before you and thank you so much for your words. I thank you for uh, how you use Matthew to, to share, share your story with us. Father God, I, I confess, uh, we confess any hard-heartedness in us, and we come to you today asking for forgiveness, and uh, we repent of our sins. We repent of all the times that, that we've tried to make the call ourselves, that we've tried to do it ourselves, that we've felt like, like we've earned the right. And so, Father God, we repent of all of that, and instead, Father God, we, we come how, we, how you can. Father God, you're calling us, you're calling us to come and to give ourselves to completely to you. So, Father God, make that move happen. Help that move to happen today, even now, even in this space. Lives can be changed even in this space as men and women surrender our will to you. And, Father God, help us to hold each other accountable to your will, to your will being done. Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We know that his kingdom will advance when we give our lives to it daily. Forgive us our sins. Be with us now as we enter into this time of communion. Guide our steps. We love you, Father. And in your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says,